Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to a not fun-filled or exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. Now, you may be wondering, why would Tom say that? Well, tonight we're going to be discussing some pretty hard-hitting and difficult-to-deal-with issues, and we have interviewed some several other nurses that have you know, social media followings and they are in touch with a large audience and kind of got their feedback and feelings on the Redonda Vought case. We're going to give you a quick overview of what that is, but before we go any further, I want to point out that ultimately this case resulted in the death of a patient and her name was Charlene Murphy. And I would be remiss if we didn't discuss about the fact that a human life was lost And it is important to note that fact because quite often in discussions like this, finger pointing and passing blame and all sorts of things are going to get talked about. But what I don't want lost is that this is ultimately a case where a person died and that it should be given that respect and talked about in that type of manner. And I think Ben and I have done a good job of trying to keep it in that vein. So please keep, you know, her and her family in your thoughts when you think about this case and keep an open mind when you hear the discussions that are going to follow. The other thing that I will say, piggybacking on that, Tom, is we are in no way excusing the error, the mistake that happened. Redonda Vaught at no time has asked for excuses. She was very vocal from the very moment that she realized what had happened, told what happened and her story has not changed throughout that time. So as we're talking about this, we are not making excuses for it or anything like that. I I want to stress that as well. And I think that's a really important um, fact that is ultimately going to be very important to remember through all that you read about this case. If you choose to read about it through this episode, while you listen to it, we are not making any excuses or really even debating the medical error. Okay. It's been documented. Redonda talked about it. Um, it's pretty much a dead horse at this point. We know a medication error happened and that medication error led to the death of a patient. That is beyond dispute. The problem is how was everything handled by both Vanderbilt and the Davidson County prosecutor's office subsequently after the death of this patient happened. So I want to give it just a quick overview in case you're not medical and you've not been following this. Cause I know a lot of medical people have been following this case pretty closely. 
So I'm going to just get real quick, kind of run down the timeline. December 24, 2017, Charlene Murphy was admitted to Vanderbilt Hospital with a subdural hematoma or bleeding in the brain. On the 26th, they had taken her down to the radiology to administer a PET scan. Um, Redonda was asked to go down and administer a medication by the name of Versed to the patient because she was having some increased anxiety about being in the scanner. She accidentally, and through multiple warnings, pulled the medication uh, Vercuronium, which is a paralyzing medication. The medication was administered to the patient. She was left there in the PET scan area, and because she was because it was paralyzing agent, she was not able to breathe. <clears throat> Once she realized what it had done, she immediately admitted it to the hospital staff because they did call a code on this patient. They were able to resuscitate her, get her back to the ICU. At that point, she went into the team and said, I think I gave the wrong medication. I gave her coronavirus instead of Versed. <clears throat> on December 27th, Murphy's family gathers. They disconnect her from the breathing machine. She subsequently passes away. Later that day, two Vanderbilt neurologists report Murphy's death to the Davidson County Medical Examiner without mentioning the medication error. Her death is attributed to bleeding in the brain and is deemed quote-unquote natural. Based on the information provided by Vanderbilt University, the medical examiner does not independently investigate the death. In 2018... Vanderbilt officials take several actions to obscure fatal medication error reporting from the government and the public. It was not reported to state or federal officials, which is required by law, or to the Joint Commission, which is the accrediting agency. Vada subsequently fired from Vanderbilt Medical University in January of 18. Sometime in, in early 2018, Vanderbilt negotiates an out-of-court settlement with the Murphy's family. They also instill a gag order on the family so that they are not allowed to speak about the case. Uh, October 3rd, 2018, an anonymous tipster alerts state and federal officials to the unreported medication error that is responsible for Murphy's death. The Tennessee Department of Health, which is responsible for licensing and investigating medical professionals, on October 23rd, 2018, decides not to pursue disciplinary action against Vought. In the letter to Vanderbilt, the agency's investigation director says Vought's case, quote, did not constitute a violation of the statutes and or rules governing the profession, unquote. On that same day, Vought has sent a letter saying this matter did not merit further action. Between October 31st and November 8th, in response to the anonymous tip, CMS, or the, Center, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, conducted a surprise inspection on Vanderbilt. The inspection confirms that Murphy died from an accidental dose of acrionium and that Vanderbilt did not report the medication error to the government or to the medical examiner. In late November 18, the circumstances of the medication error become public for the first time. CMS releases its investigation report, and Vanderbilt has to issue a plan of correction that appeases the federal agencies and secures its Medicare reimbursements because they were going to lose their funding. February 4th, 2019, Rodon is publicly identified for the first time when she's arrested on a criminal indictment for her alleged role in Murphy's death. She is charged with reckless homicide and impaired adult abuse. February 5th, 2019, 
the Vanderbilt executives speak about the fatal error during a meeting of the Tennessee Board of Licensing Healthcare Facilities. And the uh, they report that the hospital's response was, quote, too limited, unquote. Vanderbilt officials also at that time confirmed that for the first time that they had negotiated a settlement. However, the Board of Licensing Healthcare Facilities takes no disciplinary action against Vanderbilt. February 20th, 2019, she makes her first appearance in, in court. In her criminal case, she enters not, not guilty pleas to all charges. <clears throat> in court records on uh, prosecutors reveal details about Vought's case, they allege that she made, quote, 10 separate errors when giving the wrong medication to Murphy, including overlooking multiple warning signs that she'd given the wrong medication. Uh, court records state that Vought would have had to look directly at the warning saying paralytic agent before injecting the drug. On August 20th, 2019, the Nashville Medical Examiner re-examines the circumstances of the death. Now aware of the medication error, they change Murphy's death from natural to accidental. On September 27th, the Tennessee Department of Health reverted this prior decision not to pursue professional discipline against Vought. The agency refuses to explain why it reversed its prior decision. She is charged with unprofessional conduct, abandoning or neglecting a patient that required care and failing to maintain an accurate patient record. <clears throat> she ultimately does lose her license and is ordered to pay, I believe, $60,000 in penalties to the Board of Health. December 15, 2019, a Tennessean, which is a, the newspaper investigation, reveals how actions taken by Vanderbilt obscured the circumstances of Murphy's death, delaying and hampering an investigation into the hospital. And this story also includes first public statements from Charlene Murphy's grandson, who was not bound by the confidentiality agreement. He says, quote, a cover-up, that's what it screams, unquote. Vanderbilt declines to comment. Her trial ends up being delayed due to COVID-19. In July 22nd, 2021, her medical discipline hearing finally begins. During testimony, she's a, she does not shirk responsibility, saying it was completely my fault that she did not double-check the medication she was for, that she provided. However, they make notation that overriding was something that we did as part of our everyday practice. You couldn't get a bag of fluids for a patient without using an override function. They did revoke Vought's nursing license. Board members appear to be sympathetic to her case, but they do not overlook her errors. And then March 21st, 2022, her criminal trial begins with jury selection. March 25th, her trial ends. The jury finding Vought guilty of criminally negligent homicide an abuse of an impaired adult. Her sentencing is currently scheduled for, I believe, May 12th. That's kind of a brief synopsis, Tom. So you're going to hear us say a lot of things in the subsequent interviews. Um, you're going to see lots of different points, opinions, uh, information if you research this. Again, I don't want this to start sounding like a finger pointing 
exercise at every mistake ever made at Vanderbilt. It's not, though there are some questionable practices uh, done by that medical facility, it seems like, in the discrepancy or the way that they choose to go after one person or not another. And I think that's something worth questioning. It's also not, nor should it be turned into a witch hunt. This shouldn't be every person that's ever made a mistake needs to be crucified. And therefore all of us will feel better because you won't actually, that would probably destroy everything (laughs) that we have going for us right now. So let's talk about briefly what it is. It was a medical mistake. They literally happen every day. I have been involved with them myself. I don't know a nurse that hasn't. That does not mean that we are okay with it. We do not say no big deal and just move on with our life. What we do is accept that it is part of our human you know, abilities when dealing with this. There are lots of moving parts when you're dealing with a patient. The human body is incredibly complex. And then you add an EMR system, uh, medication dispensing machinery that is not always functioning or has the correct software. So you have to do 12 workarounds to try and get what you want out of it, etc. It's not a simple, she made a mistake and this happened. There was lots to this case. What bothers me and the reason I am so passionate about speaking about this is the implication on healthcare in general from this point forwards. This is um, like if an asteroid hit, you know, the earth and all those movies where you see at the end of the world, like it hits and all of a sudden that huge blast wave comes away from the impact site. That's what this is. And that's where you're at right now. You're at that little arrow pointing down to the asteroid just hit earth. Ding. That's where you're at because we don't know what happens next. I don't foresee it being a good thing. And that's what Ben and I want to talk about briefly for a few minutes before you listen to these interviews. But basically this makes me feel like every person in healthcare, not nurses, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, x-ray techs, nurse practitioners, PAs, whatever. If you deal with patients, if you make any mistakes, you could now possibly face criminal prosecution. And I know what a lot of you are saying. Well, that's not a, that's not true. Or they won't do that to everybody. Yeah. Well, they did it to her. So there is no longer the expectation that it would happen to someone else. Cause it did. And you, the person listening to this, if you're in healthcare could be next. So, I think it's important that we take time and our non-healthcare listeners get a glimpse of what we're talking about. And for those that are in healthcare, take a listen, see what your fellow colleagues are saying. And and we try and make a good decision about what we want to do moving forwards. Yeah. You know, I talked to you before we come on the air that I had joked with my nursing staff at my office earlier last week about I was going to quit doing written orders for everything. I was going to quit putting myself on the computer. I was going to give verbal orders to draw labs and to administer Toradol or or whatever the case may be. And we kind of laughed and joked about it. It was, you know, funny. And then today I come in after this verdict that was written, put out Friday. And I pulled them aside and I said, 
if you never want to take a verbal order from me again, I understand. Wholeheartedly, I understand. Because this opens up that potential for criminality with a simple error. And I say simple error, and again, I'm, we're not downplaying what happened. But yes, it was Decreonium this time instead of Versed. What if it's Tordal instead of Acetaminophen next time? I mean, like I think it was Liz, or I don't remember which one of the two that said that. Where do you draw that line between what's criminality versus what's just a medication error? My other concern is: is this going to cause people to? Stop reporting things that happen because they're scared. I I see twofold. First of all, the words slippery slope have been used by us and guest talking about this issue. And I think it's a very realistic conversation to have. And when you deal with the patient, even if you only deal with them one time, which is exactly what happened with the Redonda Vought case, she literally had a singular action that was not her patient. She was helping out another nurse by administering medication for the testing. Literally, that one interaction is what set this whole chain of events in, into motion. So for any person saying, well, there has to be. No, there doesn't. Yeah. You could literally have one thing to do with a patient now and possibly end up in jail for the rest of your life. That is going to make healthcare very difficult moving forwards. Um, because you're you're gonna have one of two scenarios I, I see is either A, everything is gonna become so gridlocked because nobody wants to move, nobody wants to be left holding the bag or go to jail. So everything becomes way too convoluted, which I could see happening or B just has been, you know, talked about suddenly nobody talks about the errors anymore. The errors knowing about them is how you fix them. And when people are trying to protect their livelihoods and not go to jail and suddenly, you know, they don't report a medication error. How, how are we supposed to get better as a profession? This, uh, this district attorney, Mr. Funk down in Nashville has now basically, not only let the cat out of the bag that we can't easily put back into it, but he has also created an environment in which our ability to be transparent has ceased to exist. The impact, again, I'm using the word impact on purpose, the impact that this decision and ruling are going to are going to have good Lord, <clears throat> the impact that this decision and ruling is going to have on our future as healthcare workers is not measurable. This is a, you know, what they say in that movie Armageddon, you know, uh, a world killing event. And for healthcare, it is, that doesn't mean healthcare is going to stop, but there is zero part of healthcare that will not be impacted by this one decision. And I don't know that people outside of healthcare can possibly grasp how deep that that's going to run. And it is, it's, it's troubling. And I've been pretty open about this. It does worry me instantly. As soon as I read this uh, ruling, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I immediately text my wife and Ben. It was like, I don't want to be in healthcare anymore because maybe a mistake I made three years ago 
that directly or indirectly led to harming a patient could now be reviewed and brought back. Yeah. Or what if it's tomorrow? There is no safe spot. There is no way to do our job in a way that we feel comfortable, at least from where I'm sitting for quite a while until this dust settles. And even then I don't know how far it settles. Yeah. So before we get into these interviews, I hope everyone takes a listen, keeps an open mind. There are lots of good possibilities going forward. I don't want this to turn into a, a, a total, you know, doom and gloom episode, but I think this is a very serious topic. I think we can have, you know, lots of good conversations and lots of great ideas. And I want to hear them all. And I think we should all be sharing them. But the bottom line remains this. We have now been put on notice that not just our certifications and licensure can be taken from us for making a mistake, but our very freedom and ability to, you know, have a family you know, drive a car like all those are now on notice that they could be taken from us anytime for a mistake. And again, she was charged with homicide negligent. Was it negligent or reckless homicide? I don't remember. Exactly. She was originally charged with reckless. They found it. They, they criminally were, negligent. The jury dropped down to criminally negligent. Yes. Criminally negligent. So homicide literally just means one person caused the death of another. I mean, and it can be used in a different, a lot of ways, but in this context, Basically, what they're saying is, you know, she did something on purpose that was criminally negligent to cause this death, which I don't think anybody reviewing this could say they think that honestly. And also, she was charged with abuse of a patient that she didn't know and only had one interaction in. Now, there are truly elderly uh, patients that are being abused, you know, at home or wherever they live at that need lots of care and they are a special population that needs all the help we can give them. But this was not that I, I this was not you. that. And he adulterated his charges to fit his need is what it feels like to me for this prosecutor. So unfortunately the problem is, is the dies cast, you know, the, the, the vase is broken, whatever, you know, you want to say about it. Um, it's, it's happened. So I hope again, that Ben and I open your eyes, ears, and mind, and hopefully you hear more about this case and learn more and listen to what Tina and nurse Liz has to say. And, uh, hopefully something good can come from this. Yeah. So we are going to go to our interview with nurse Liz first and then the interview following that will be Tina. Tina was actually at the trial the entire time Correct. rather than the verdict. So we're yeah, I mean we and we, we discussed that at length. So um just I know it, it's Tom's line, but I'm just gonna say be careful out there because yeah healthcare may have just changed. Well, Tom, I want to thank Liz for taking time out of her schedule to being all big and famous to take a few minutes and visit with us. Um, for those who don't know, 
you should. I mean, she's I'm.nurse.liz. She's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, she's about everywhere, right? I think so. TikTok is very new. So <laughs> I, I posted on TikTok so that I could post on Instagram and then more people watched it over there. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. This is a thing. Yeah. It's a thing now. yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of you here. Okay. <laughs> but you can be really snarky on TikTok and I really appreciate that. Well, I may have to look into that now. See? Yeah. Oh, you should. What? You can just like clap right back. Yeah. People don't hold back over there. I was like, uh, exactly. <laughs> Oh, Ben, Ben, Ben. Oh, how am I just now finding out about this TikTok? I don't know. I just, I, don't know. I just found out that you could be your authentic self, and I was like, I'm ready. Here we go. <laughs> Gloves are off. Yep. So, so, we know that you've been following the Redondavat case and mm-hmm. posted quite a bit about it. Uh, we just kind of initially want your reaction on the conviction and just kind of your thoughts. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that makes me nervous is that if you're starting to criminally convict people for an error with medication. So we know that like a ton of these happen every year. So if this was an isolated incident, I mean, I think it would be very different, but I mean, I think the data is showing what, like seven to 9,000 medication related deaths occur every single year. So this is like a big problem. And to then introduce the criminal justice system to it and say like, Hey, we're going to criminalize this that just starts a slippery slope of where do we draw the line? You know, okay, so we think hers was criminal, but what if I just, you know, what if I only missed one safeguard? Is it criminal then? What if I missed two? Is that where we draw the line? Or do we have to do this every single time that we make a mistake? Like, how do we make the line in the sand that, hey, your mistake was a misdemeanor and yours is a criminal offense? Like, I just think that's a super slippery, gross slope that then we're going to fall down. And then it's like, who's even going to want to do this? Because you're going to be constantly worried that, oh, you're going to go to jail if you make an honest mistake. I mean, I think there's a big difference between making a mistake and going out. And, you know, if this is a repeat pattern thing, then that's totally different, but just a mess. And I would agree. I mean, she, from the beginning has and that's one thing that, oh, yeah. that she said is her story has never mm-hmm. changed for the last three years. It's always mm-hmm. been the same. Yeah, I think that's, and that's, I think the biggest thing I was like, when I first heard that, when they said like, oh, from the minute she found out, she went and told that team that like, I have done this instead. I was like, that takes balls. Cause I don't know if I would have been able to that quickly be like, oh, like I'm going to go admit to this team that I killed this person. Like essentially I was like, I feel like I would pause and be like, oh boy, like, here we go. Like, and she just did. She was like, nope, like this is what happened. And I don't think she's getting, I mean, obviously what she did is not great. Like it's not good. And she's admitted that from day one, like she's not trying to cover it up. And I think that's the super frustrating part. And I think we've all said this multiple times is it's a, it was a mistake. I am not mm-hmm. saying it's okay. And again, exactly. a, mm-hmm. a person died because mm-hmm. of this. I mean, I do not take that lightly and I don't think any other serious professional in healthcare would either, but it was just that a mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It had been looked into, it had been investigated. Everybody involved with that at some point said it was clearly a mistake. And like you said, when you get charged with a homicide, usually there's a signal of intent. So mm-hmm. had she been impaired or intoxicated, had this been her 15th one, you know, mm-hmm. if if there was some other, if she had told somebody, I don't like this lady, yeah, you know, yeah. if there had been anything else I could say, and I could support them making a criminal prosecution, 
Mm-hmm. But really what they have done, and, and I said this somewhat earlier, is they let the cat out of the bag, right? Mm-hmm. And and this cat now affects all of us. So it doesn't matter if you're a surgeon, a doctor, a nurse, a respiratory therapist, x-ray tech, because you use the, the word I'm worried about also, it's the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. So even like, let's say I'm just in the room and I brought you a bag of saline, but they decide to start charging people in this person's. Do I get charged? And mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous to some people, but no, it's it really. Not. Yeah. yeah. Now that now that you've made a mistake, a criminal action. Does that mean anybody involved with the mistake? Does that mean if you knew about the mistake, like where does it end? Because like I said, the cat's out of the bag. You can't just mm-hmm. put it back in. So what do you. I've watched several of your videos, but what I want you to do is talk now about what do you think we can do trying to go forwards about this? In terms of like as a system or more like for nurses who are like, oh my God. Nurses that are, (laughs) oh my God, is is where I would start. (laughs) Yeah. So I think first really being setting up better boundaries, which is really hard and employers are obviously going to push back. But like if his situation is unsafe, saying no, you know, like I if you are in a situation where you're being asked to go into a, I mean, I don't know any idea if she felt comfortable floating around. I would imagine if it was me and I was a two-year-old nurse and you asked me to float around to different areas of the hospital doing all sorts of random things with an orientee, like that would have made me uncomfortable. I don't know if she was or not, but like being able to stand up and be like, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Hey, we're going to float you to this random unit. Like my hospital would float us. uh, We were like a step down in a floor unit, they would sometimes just like send us to the ICU. And they were like, we'll give you like the easiest patient here, but like, here you go. Like, and I didn't, yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know that I could be like, Hey, no, I was just like, okay, like (laughs) this doesn't seem great. Like, so I think really setting the boundary of like, no, like I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'm not going to. And then that sets one thing, you know, one barrier in the way of like you being able to protect your license to writing incident reports. I always had the idea that incident reports were like bad, but like bad for me. And I think looking at it and hearing from a lot of different people, more of like, these are the things that are going to alert, hopefully someone in the system, you know, if you're getting incident reports every single day, you're going to be notified that like, oh, these are issues that are obviously here. So eventually you're going to hopefully bother them enough that they look into them. Um, And then I would, I mean, I would personally not do any of the overrides or any of the orders, unless I had a physical, like a physical order and I was able to get it from the computer. I know we did a ton of either showing up with the stuff and then like expecting the orders to be done later. Like for procedures, you would just kind of like pull the stuff and do the stuff. And then afterwards they would go back and they're like, okay, what did you give? And then we would, they would put the order in and I would no longer do that if it was me doing that, I would be much more like, no, why don't you just take a second and you just, you put that in first. Well, and I I think you made a really good point about the incident reports. I served as an ER supervisor, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'd been an ER nurse and then I became a supervisor Mm -hmm. and I felt the same way at bedside. Like, I don't want to write an incident report. Mm -hmm. I will tell you though, a hundred percent. And I can't speak for every manager, supervisor out there. But those really are good tools that mm-hmm. we do not design to be, well, used against you. Of course, maybe yeah. that table's turned now. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. but, yeah. but you said it, and it was 100% correct. If I don't know it's a problem, I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And so so incident reports are probably something that should be really looked into and maybe yeah. overhauled. And the polls. 
I, I kept yeah. shaking my head as you said that. And I was looking at Ben because we both came from ER. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many medications in my career I have given on just the, the person looking yeah. at me says, give a hundred. I yeah. didn't even really clarify because I already no. knew, yeah. but, but realistically now yeah. that world is over. Oh yeah. You know, like, so. And I don't think people have any idea how common that is, is that there's kind of the unwritten understanding of just like, Hey, your kid can't get out of SVT. I'm going to go grab the stuff. Like the whole thing is done behind the, <laughs> before the providers like, okay, great. So that was, that was a dentist scene. Right. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I gave well, it six and then 12, like I'm supposed yeah. to, but yeah, but yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it but it already happened. Exactly. And, and everything was fine and done. And yeah. like, Mm. You know, the other thing that you mentioned was the overrides and I'd heard Doc talk about this and, and the word that he used, and, and maybe it's a word that I just was not familiar with was alarm fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I started looking like today as a prescriber. Mm-hmm. How many we override? All the time. Yeah. I counted. I had four notifications when I prescribed Singular to a 15 year old because it says, Oh, well this may be unsafe in children six months to 18. Oh, well this mm-hmm. may be unsafe. If the patient is pregnant. Oh, and this may be. And the other thing that little things and Tom and I've talked about this before on our show with, um, like, uh, liquid doses of like amoxicillin, mm-hmm. we calculate that dosage out. So let's say it's five MLs BID. Well, the computer calculates and says, Oh, it's 4.99. Mm-hmm. You have to override that to say, yep. oh, no, I, and so it, it, the amount of clicks that we have that we don't even oh yeah see anymore. No. Yeah. And you just scroll right through or when it's telling you like they may have some obscure allergic reaction based on the medicine they took five years ago. And you're just like, <laughs> okay, just like, just stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have a reported incident to this and there's yellow dye in it. And now this medication yeah. has yellow dye in it. So it uh-huh. might have this interaction and you're like, yeah. no, it won't. And you click, yeah. go ahead. But now it's like, but now you've clicked it. Yeah, so now, now if they I've have it, it, yeah, yeah, then, and I can't think of, I mean, how many times I've done that. I remember being with students and they were like, you went through that fast. And I was like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely read all of those screens. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm very proficient reader. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of the questions that I asked Tina um, in our interview with her just a little bit ago, and I wanted to ask you, so I want you to talk directly to the nurses that are out there that we've been beaten and downtrodden by the pandemic. Then, you know, this whole like cap and travel and nurses pay and, and the United Nurses March now this medical error being negligent homicide mm-hmm. talk directly to the nurses that are kind of experiencing this and what you would say to them moving forward. I think finding something like being very open to change, I think is going to be the helpful thing here. I think, and that's more my bias coming from someone who has just like taken a step back in the last year and kind of been like, Ooh, like I'm, not loving this. Like, let me kind of see. And I felt so stuck before I did leave that. I think now I'm able to see a little bit more clearly, like just being in a different environment. So I would 
say like, just maybe see if there's any other nursing jobs that are maybe not bedside, you know, because the stress of this, this is all largely focused around. I mean, yes, this can happen outpatient, but like if you found either a unit that was going to be a little bit more chill, or like, if you're really having a hard time, just getting a different, putting yourself in a different position for like a year outpatient, something, and infu- you know, something that's going to be a little bit more relaxed and then looking and reevaluating before just like bouncing and being like, Hey, I'm done. Just seeing like, can I just step back for a second and see what I really liked, what maybe I could switch to like, and just kind of see, is this something I want to stick with versus like absolutely leaving, but also knowing that if you don't want to work there, like that's okay. You know, you're not obligated to stay. It is okay. Yes. There are things we can do to make sure that your practice is safe. Like, you know, putting all the writing, the incident reports, making sure that you're making sure like putting yourself in safe situations, saying no, speaking up when people come onto the unit and are asking you, Hey, is this safe? Like I used to run away from all of those people too, like Jayco and quality improvement. And I was like, just, that's why I work night shift. And now looking back, I'm like, I should have been like, Hey, please like, let me show you what is actually happening. And like, so either way, whichever way you pick your battle is fine. You know, I think, I think people really shame people into leaving, you know, when it's not a good fit, but I mean, it's kind of a hot mess a lot of the times. And you really have to like the hot mess if you want to stay and it's fine to change your mind and be like, bye, I just need a minute. So that's probably not the advice you were looking for. No, <laughs> I mean, that's-, that, no, that's the thing. And I, I, I think Ben is about to say the same thing. That's why we're asking mm-hmm. is we want all the views. You know, my view mm-hmm. is not going to be the same as his completely not the same as yours, not the same as Tina's, not the same as anybody's. I think there are a lot of people and myself included. I've talked about this pretty openly that are de-stressed, you know, de-stressed. They're really stressed out, mm-hmm. not de-stressed. Yeah. I'm the opposite of you. <laughs> yeah. I'm stressed out to the max. And yeah. like I, I, you know, the pandemic and the reactions of people during it. And then this, mm-hmm. this was the crappy icing on a crappy cake and yeah. we really didn't need it. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's very, very important to get all the views and mm-hmm. s- for all of us to come together. This can't be a, there's only one way to skin this cat. There isn't, there's a lots of ways and we need to hear them all. So yeah, I'm glad you said it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be that person to be like, just go. Um, <laughs> if, are you guys familiar with your nurse lawyer on Instagram? I, she I also think I've seen a little she, bit. Yeah. She has a course actually too, that she offers. She's a lawyer and a nurse and she put together one thing, I think it's like 50 bucks, one for nurses and one for advanced practice providers. And it gives you the legal thing of like, this is how you protect your license. And she kind of just goes through it and gives you the, you know, talks about malpractice insurance, like, you know, what to do with that, what to do with documenting things that are going to do so that you can't, you are much less likely to be taken to court and have anything happen to your license. And I think that's a really good positive step for people who are nervous because if I was still practicing, I would be nervous. You know what I mean? Like I, I was like, before I go back, because I think I probably will, like, I just need to do this and take this and figure it out because I'm scared. Like, I don't want you to throw me in jail for anything. So I think that's another actionable thing in case you don't want to run away that you could actually do. <laughs> I, no. And, but again, just like you said, I'm scared. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, Ben has been playing Mr. Cool. I can't tell if he's, you know, truly worried deep down or not, but, but I am, I yeah. am. And 
again, I've seen, I've, I've worked with prosecutors, you know, I was mm-hmm. law enforcement yeah. and what people fail to understand is now that this door is open, it's open to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about that earlier. This is now a legal precedent. You know, mm-hmm. the words Tennessee versus Vought, you might hear that against you. That's not something you want to hear. All mm-hmm. right. And third is just because it's already happened. Like we talked about earlier, time can go backwards. They can say, well, you know, the uh, the timeline on this was this only happened two years ago. So that's still criminally prosecutable. Yeah. So let's go back and look now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this this is just one of those things. I don't blame anyone for being scared, but I, I think we're going to have to figure out as a profession what we're going to do going forwards. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one because everyone online was like, you're scaring me. I was like, friend, I'm scared. You and they're like, you scared. need to not be scared. <laughs> they're like, you shouldn't be posting that. It's scaring more people. I was like, but I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, and I legitimately am. I mean, Tom's saying I play Mr. Cool and I uh, I have to do that with him. But uh, I mean, I, I legitimately am. And we don't know how things are going to go moving forward. But if I was a floor nurse, I would definitely change the way that I, mm-hmm. I do things. I would double check my orders, triple check my orders. I would not take verbal orders. I would, I mean, there's lots mm-hmm. that is going to go yeah. into this that's going to change the very fabric of nursing. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, Ben, I think if I was now the provider in an ER setting, I wouldn't want you taking, you know, so I think a lot of people, and there are going to be pissy doctors about this or pissy PAs or NPs, whatever. But I think that there's a lot of them that are going to go, you're right. I don't want this. I don't want any ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a very clear written order and that's what yep. you're going to follow. And if something bad happens, then we're going to be like, Hey, we had to follow the rules that you we're We're playing by your rules. Now, yep. these mm-hmm. are the rules of the game that you wanted. And mm-hmm. so there you go. And I think as a provider, I'm just as scared, if not more scared than when I was yeah. at bedside, because boy, there's a lot, <laughs> there, there was a lot more open liability mm-hmm. before this. And yeah. so now I'm as, as an advanced practice nurse, I'm just like, good Lord, I'm really, yeah. I, again, I'm confident in my ability, but, but still, <laughs> but, but, but that doesn't shake the fact I am aware that mistakes mm-hmm. happen. Human beings are complex machines. We're dealing with EMRs. We're doing all the stuff that we've talked about. You, you basically have created a fruit salad of mistakes. Yeah. And Especially in one, family what, medicine, oh, like yeah. where you're supposed to literally know everything. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot that this obscure reaction does happen in your subset of the population. You're right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It says 0.01% of the people. You found it. Great. Yeah. Uh, How how was I going to? Yeah. I can't, you know, or I try to tell people all the time. I was like, there's over 21,000 medications. Yeah. If anybody tells you that they know what's going to happen with all of them, they're a liar. (laughs) You need to stay away from them. So it it is a, it was a I don't want to say terrible. It was a tough time to be in healthcare and then this. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm totally glad that we got to talk to you tonight and hear your point of view. Is there anything else before we go that you want the crowd to hear? I don't think so. Just like go with your gut. Your gut's usually right. And it's fine if it's not a popular opinion, because I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of pushback, especially from the grumpy like people who are used to giving just verbal orders mm-hmm. and hospitals now who are going to have a lot thing a lot of patients i think complaining or just seeing a lot of slowing down in an already very overwhelmed system like you're going to hit resistance for that but at the end of the day that's your license and you apparently staying out of jail now that 
cover your ass. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, Liz, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to visit with us again. Very, oh, very sure. busy. It schedule. was very nice. Thanks Super for hanging busy out with schedule. me. She, she <laughs> told us she could barely find time. Barely. To talk to us. You know. She's like, you know, peons like you, I guess, for in the this middle of important. a big crocheting project right now. <laughs> so, well, well, oh, setting me back. Next episode of JSP: <laughs> crocheting injuries and how to treat them with Nurse Liz. I like so. it. Yeah, there you go. We'll make sure we drop all the links down to where they can find you on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else. But thank you again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you, ma'am. Well, Tina, I want to thank you for taking time out of your evening to visit with us in regards to the Redonda Vought case. I know that you have been personally involved in this, and I believe you actually even were there to be part of the trial, right? Yes, I was there for the whole trial from the beginning to end. Not for the verdict, but until all closing arguments were done and they rested and the jury instructions were given. So we we wanted to bring you on to kind of get your thoughts on the conviction, where we go from here. What is this, you know, how does this shape healthcare? Well, it's sort of a scary situation and it's something that I, I've kind of had some different thoughts ever since it happened Friday. It's weird because I've been covering this case for three years So I thought I already kind of knew where I stood on everything. And I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I must have just really always thought that they would find her not guilty. And then that would sort of send a message to district attorneys that it's a bad idea to do this because you're never going to get a conviction. And then when the conviction, you know, when the, the verdict came down Friday, I was at work and it was in the middle of the day. Of course, everyone's talking about it. And it was just really shocking and just stunning. I couldn't believe it. Um, and I, it, you know, my initial sort of knee-jerk reaction was to think, "Wow, our like it felt like the whole our whole society had turned on us." And um, my impression of what people think of nurses or thought of nurses is so different than what the reality is. That that's that was like all these initial thoughts, and then. Um, over the weekend, I was just sort of thinking, you know, wait a minute, that's not the way to look at this. This started because a medication error happened, obviously, which is awful. And just we've all been grieving over that for the whole time. We will continue to grieve over that. That There's no mistaking that. But unfortunately, the it was perpetuated and in, enhanced by one person, one man who decided to bring criminal charges against a nurse for making a medication error. So that's what I sort of started thinking about. Like, that's what we really should be focusing on here. That is where, you know, this whole thing went way wrong in uh, the aftermath of it, you know, rather than looking at um, the situation, which, which obviously from the very beginning, Vanderbilt didn't handle the whole thing right at all. But, um, the fact that the district attorney chose to prosecute this, you know, criminally is is was a huge mistake, um, and I think that that person should not have that position anymore. I think that he needs to be out of office and 
you know, coincidentally, <laughs> it just so happens to be election time right now. Like they're, the elections are going on right now. Um, early voting is going to be here in just a few weeks in April. And election day is May 3rd in Nashville. And I think we are going to have this. So that, that sort of became my focus. Like rather than looking at this, like the world is coming to an end for me and healthcare and nursing and, and, you know, let's look at this, like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Let's get the person out who made that decision and get someone in who's more reasonable. Do you think having watched the trial and some of the information we have found out after you bring up a good point. This is an election cycle. This is a high profile case. They're really the intent of the criminal justice system is, you know, to make bad people, you know, punished for their crimes or to prevent people from wanting to do it. But in a case like this, the person already said, I made the mistake. And it had been investigated by people that are knowledgeable in the medical field and everybody associated said, no, there was no criminal intent. This should not be prosecuted. The person, the you know, the patient that died, their family publicly, I believe, released something saying that they did not really want her prosecuted, that they had made their peace with the situation. So do you think that there's anything other than the fact that this is so high profile that made him want to prosecute it? In your in your opinion, I understand we're not we're not speaking on behalf of Davidson County or the state of Tennessee. I'm asking your opinion, having covered this for three years. What other what other possible answers do you think you have? Oh, it's hard for me to imagine. It is my my personal opinion. Just having you know, since I do know all of, pretty much all the details of the case, it is hard for me to imagine what reason that district attorney could have for wanting to bring these charges against her and. Literally, the only thing that I can come up with is that it would come, you know, it, it is a high profile hospital there in Nashville, um, in the state of Tennessee. It's it's a, I mean, Vanderbilt University is a very prestigious um, university and the medical center clearly is tied directly to it. And so I think that he did, I personally believe uh, that it, the only reason that he could have for doing this would be that he saw an opportunity for headlines. I don't believe that he uh, foresaw a year of COVID. And so the whole thing getting pushed um, ahead or back, I, I guess, a year. And so this, I don't think that he would have foreseen that he would be, tr he would have been trying this right, you know, during this election because I, I think that if he had thought that through, he would have realized that's probably a bad idea. I don't want to alienate all these healthcare workers right at my election, but it would be good for publicity to, that I'm going. What, from what I remember when it first happened, there was a lot of talk from the district attorney's office about elder abuse and how this district attorney is really hard on people who um, abuse older people and that they're really cracking down and they have an elder abuse registry and they're really cracking down on that. Well, what good does that do if you just go after random people that you happen to be able to somehow twist all the facts into it being an elder abuse case, but in reality, everybody knows it's not. And that's what he did. Well, not only for elderly abuse, and again, every case is a little different, but in this particular situation, the nurse had one brief interaction. 
Mm-hmm. There was no systematic abuse of the patient. There was no repeated interactions where she you could develop a case and say, look, this person or there's no evidence that this has happened with her and any other elderly patients. So basically, one person had one interaction and he based an entire prosecution of elderly abuse on one interaction. And again, not a prosecutor myself, but that sounds like a pretty thin premise to base an entire prosecution against a nurse on. No, I agree. So have you talked to Redonda post verdict? I mean, I know that she had put out something about letters and things like that. And I want to make sure we get that information out too, but I mean, have mm-hmm. you, have you spoken with her? I have uh, been in contact with her and um, she clearly is, is devastated over, over everything. She's been, this whole thing has been, has changed her whole life. She is never going to be the same. She never would have been the same had any of this not even happened. Um, But now um, I think she's feeling like everyone else, like what is going on? This makes no sense. And she's sad for the healthcare community. She's a, she's a really good person and she's actually a really good nurse. And I, anyone who listened to the trial and listened to the, to her coworkers talk about her would have to know that. But you go online and you, you see people posting things and, and, and saying things like, oh, she was a sloppy nurse and, um, you know, making comments about the mistakes that she made as if they're just, they live in some sort of perfect, perfect bubble and never make mistakes. Um, it's frustrating. Um, so what are some things that at this point now, post conviction that we can do to help? Well, Sarah Beth Myers, the, uh, person that's actually running against Glenn Funk for the district attorney's uh, office there in, in Nashville. She said that one of the best things that you can do is to send letters to the judge that's going to be sentencing Redonda on May the 13th. And so she said that the judge will put all of those letters in a binder and she will take them into consideration. So the more letters that she gets that are obviously unique letters specifically from people. Redonda recommended ha- handwriting them. Um, Redonda's uh, attorney gave a sort of template that we can use. She said, you know, stay classy. Don't, you know, th- don't be insulting people. There's no point, you know, and uh, stooping to th- anyone else's level. Um, but just state the facts, you know, state how you feel like, how you feel this is going to affect healthcare. Um, what impact it's going to have on you and your, you know, in society in general, and that the judge will take that into account. And you have organized a Facebook page. And do you want to talk about that? Like, tell us what it is, how they can join, et cetera, just kind of. Yeah. Um, it, the Facebook, there's actually several, the, the Facebook page that I started, uh, is called nurses March for Redonda Vaught. And I started it because I didn't see another one out there. Um, and then once I started and started getting, gaining momentum, I noticed there were some others. Well, actually some of them reached out to me, but the, this one had kind of taken off. So there was really no point. And I'm just thinking, you know, the, what difference does it make if there's multiple ones and we're all advocating for the same thing? They all are the same message. It's, you know, we're all going to go to Nashville on May the 13th and be there at eight o'clock in the morning at the Justice A.A. Birch a criminal justice center or whatever uh, it's called there um, in downtown Nashville. And we'll 
show up and try to get through the doors and see how many, how many can get in. I don't know what's going to happen. I know there's a lot of people that's going to be there and we're all going to try to wear purple or uh, Redonda said she would love to see a, a rainbow of scrubs. So she just wants to see people there in scrubs, but I know her favorite color is purple. So a lot of people are planning on wearing purple. They're working on getting some, uh, a t-shirt design that we're going to post that information on that Facebook group as well that the proceeds will go to help some small businesses in the community where Redonda lives because she's wanting to try to give back to her community, which I think, you know, I mean, that's just, that's who she is. That really is. My last question I have for you. And I'll just throw it out there. (laughs) What would you say to the nurses that are listening to this? You know, we they've been beaten and downtrodden by the pandemic. Then, you know, this travel nurses cap pay thing came out. And, and so they're organizing, you know, the, the United Nurses March. And now this conviction of, of medical error against Redonda Vought. So, I mean, what would you say to the nurses that are out there moving forward in their career? I would say... There have been many times, ups and downs, ebbs and flows in my career. I haven't been a nurse very long, seven year, going on seven years. And um, I think there are always times of discouragement. This is kind of one of those times, but we have to stand strong. And if you love nursing like I do, then you just, you know, kind of uh, galvanize yourself, band together with other nurses because we're st- so much stronger together and try to make change rather than running away from the problem. Because if we all just run away and decide we're going to jump ship, that's not going to help anything. And we all need nurses. I mean, we we will at some point, most of us are going to end up being a patient in a hospital at some point, and we're going to be relying on nurses. So we need to realize that we need to try to fix the system. We need to try to fix the problem. Run toward the problem. Try to fix the problem. Don't run away from it. It's very poetic. Thank you. Tom, you got anything else? Nope. She just changed my mind on things I should do in my life. Um, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I still have doubts of staying in healthcare. And I told Ben that like, I, you know, he was, you know, a person I talked to every day, but him and my wife were the first two people. I said, I don't know that I want to stay in healthcare anymore. Um, because I, to me, this cat, is out of the bag and there are lots of problems we can still fix. And I think Tina said it way better than I could have what we need to do, but I'm not blind to the broader implication that this legal precedent has now set. And so I agree with her. I think we do need to band together all of us in healthcare um, and work towards a unified solution. But man, it, it, I feel like I'm in shaky ground. Like I feel I've been, I've been insulated from the worst of the pandemic and I still feel beat up. And then this on top of it yeah. just was a shot that uh, I'll be frank. I did not need, <laughs> I mean, I could take some abuse, but after the last couple years to it over a mistake, It it was just uh, it was it was hard to swallow. So, I guess that's my final thought. Is I think uh, 
I think it's time for some introspection and some wine or something. And I'm going to think about what we should do. And um, thank you, Tina, for saying it. I mean, I, I know Ben has said it. Not as eloquently, but yeah, I was gonna say, but not nearly as eloquently. He was mostly like, Hey, you're stupid. Don't I, do that. I'm like, okay, well, that's the type of talk Tom <laughs> normally needs. Okay. Let's be real fair. All right. And I, I respond well to that, but hearing someone say the words I would say to somebody else, if I was still a police officer, like you we're not paid to run away from problems. We're paid to go deal with them. And I'm like, I think you said it in a way I needed to hear this time. And so all I have is a microphone to affect change. And hopefully with, uh, with everything we do together, we, we can make some. So thank you, Ms. T- thank you, Ben, for telling me to shut up when I need to be told to shut up. I do appreciate you. Um, but honestly, the way Tina just said it kind of shed some light on it. So, all right. I'm still not saying I'm sticking around forever. I'm still a little nervous, but perhaps... Tina, any parting words that you would have? Uh, for anyone who's listening to this, that that has been, you know, really critical of this whole thing and critical of us for, you know, defending the situation and advocating. I, I've been, I've always said I'm advocating for nursing. Um, I would say just stop and think about um, if there's any mistake that you could possibly make that could lead to a patient's death. And if you answer yes to that, you need to be fighting against this because any one of us, if we are able to make a mistake, they can wreck you over the coals. They can analyze that, parse it out and find fault with you and find ways where you were, you know, reckless. Um, and then you're going to be fighting for your life. And I, I was going to say, I have been a nurse long enough and I've done enough things in nursing to be able to say anybody that says I don't make mistakes are the ones that you need to be watching. Anybody that says I wouldn't do something like this are the people that usually would be the ones making this mistake. And so it can happen to any of us. We all have made some kind of medication error. I don't think the problem is the medication error. I think the problem is how this was handled by Funk and the prosecuting office, Vanderbilt, how they handled it. And someone is paying the price that shouldn't be. And and ultimately, that's the hard part for me to swallow. I also want to point out on the larger scale, not only is she correct, like they can come back later. If something bad happens to that patient, that timeline does not stop. Like just because they're left the hospital, if the the harm happens later, the prosecutor can come back like they can reverse time. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they come back and now start looking. And even if you aren't directly involved with it, basically they set the precedent. Any mistake can be part of this prosecution. So mm-hmm. even if I wasn't the direct person involved, if I had anything to do with the case, now you're part of the problem. And so don't feel like, well, I didn't actually push the medicine or I didn't actually draw it up or I didn't see the order. No, no, no. That no longer is, is part of this issue. You are now involved and you are as just as open to prosecution now as Redonda Vought. And I think that is the ultimate large glaring mistake to healthcare workers that this light needs to be shined on. And that's just, I really hope, uh, hope we can make some change. 
I, I agree with you. Tina, again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Um, if you guys are interested in hearing a whole lot more about the Redondo Out case, Tina has multiple episodes on her podcast, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, about it. Um, so we'll throw some links down to some of those in our show notes. Them. Tina, how do they find you? Uh, thank you. <laughs> this is You're always so mean. Don't do that to her. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you just wait till after this show, Ben. So. <laughs> uh, badnurse.com is our website, and then we're on uh, Facebook and I believe at GNP Podcast, uh, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram and TikTok now. Um, so we're starting and how to do they, that. And what's the name of the march so they can look that up and join? Even that, if you don't plan on going, join. Let them yeah, know that you join, could be showing. Because you, you can still be there in spirit. Um, it's called Nurses for, no, Nurses March for Redonda Vaught. Well, thank you again. Appreciate it.